Before we jump into the episode, we want to uh, give you full notice of the Spirit Forward Georgia Conference happening this September. And I also want to invite you to leave comments and remarks on some of this material. If you've been listening to the podcast or any of the teachings from Spirit Forward, we really want to hear from you. We want to hear the questions, the comments. Uh, we want to uh, be as effective as teachers as we can be. So please reach out to us through Facebook or whatever and leave a comment. And uh, we read those. We value those because we value you. We love you. And uh, so here we go with a great episode on the spiritual gifts. Welcome to the Spirit Forward Podcast, a show dedicated to the teaching, discussion, and demonstration of the work of the Spirit of Jesus. God bless you, and thanks for listening. Ken, when you brought up this topic and we were discussing some of the things we want to include in this Spiritual Gifts 101, and you circled back to the starting point, which is gifts flow from a place of relationship and intimacy with the Lord. My heart soared. I could talk about this topic all the time. I love Jesus. I love the prayer closet, the secret place with Jesus. I love to bring as many of God's children as I can into that place. So wh whenever I get the opportunity to talk about either the voice of the Lord or um, relationship building time in the prayer closet, I just rejoice. And so that's where we're at today. We are discussing the, um, the intrinsic value of the secret place. And the value that it holds on our heart, the value that it holds in our ministry. And since Paul said, you can do all these awesome gifts, but without love, you're nothing. We have to put love in its proper place. So, Ken, um, tell us, man, about the love for the Lord, uh, developing an intimacy with Jesus, and, and what does my personal like devotional relationship with Jesus have to do with spiritual gifts in my church. Uh, yeah. So I think when we talk about spiritual gifts, we end up really looking at three chapters, first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. Romans 12 has a list. Ephesians four has a list. You can't even get to the Ephesians four list unless you deal with this first Corinthians list. So we'll just, we'll go there first. 1 Corinthians 12 gives you, introduces the topic to gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, so it's the uh, the power of God, right? These, this is the doctrine of God's power. This is how it works. And then 1 Corinthians 13 is the love of God. 1 Corinthians 14, I've heard it said, is the order, right? God orders the gifts. <clears throat> he contrasts a very prevalent gift in the church prophecy with a gift, uh, with a gift, um, that was very popular at Corinth, but was being misused. And uh, he orders headship with some with some gender conversation, and then uh, ends it with let everything be done decently and in order. So you've got power of God, order of God, and I'm sorry, power of God, love of God, and order of God in these three chapters. So the reason First Corinthians 13 is in the middle of it, right, is that uh, I don't think the Lord wants us to lose sight of um, how these gifts flow and they flow through intimacy with the Lord. Yes. Uh, and here's a question for our listeners to think about what spiritual gift did Jesus walk in? And I'll give you a second to think about it. 
the correct answer is whichever one he needed at the moment, right? He walked in all the gifts, um, but he walked in the ones that he needed for a situation. So why did he walk in all the gifts? Is it because he was Jesus? Yes. Is it because he was God? Yes. But he was also our model. So if he's our model, he did a lot of things as a man um, through the humanity rather than the deity. Uh, if you can kind of uh, understand, accept that language. Um, and he did them as an example for us. And so what we see is him not saying like, you know, I have the gift of faith. So I'm just going to use that primarily in every situation. Uh, he, he hmm. came to a situation and he exercised a gift that was needed because he emanated the love of the father. So um, I think it's the safest biblical perspective on spiritual gifts especially concerning the ministry of Jesus to see that when you're in tune with the father in an intimate walk with the father, that means you're in the secret place. You're listening to the still small voice of God. You're hiding the scriptures in your heart. Um, you are um, just spending time with him, listening for his voice and letting his love saturate you. Then you're going to be in a position to um you ha to have access to whatever gift you need when a situation arises and because we because we're not Jesus as much as we're trying to follow his example one way might be that I'll, I'll realize right away hey I need to call my friend Josh he's a, a prayer warrior he's got this gift right so it may be a situation where I know that the Lord's not going to give me that gift but he's connecting me with a person who has who walks in that gift but I have found that Instead of focusing on which gift is mine all the time, I try to focus on the person in front of me and how I love them and how Jesus loves them. And then usually I have at least something to help them for that for that next moment. Uh, I get the gift for that situation. So if someone comes to me and says, I'm struggling because my child is sick, then I don't immediately say, well, you know, I don't get to healing, so I can't help you. Uh, hopefully you can get a hold of Benny Hinn. <laughs> you know, that, that's not a, that's not helpful, right? But I think I love them. Yes. Jesus loves them infinitely more. And he's brought us to this encounter. We've brought us to this place where we're having this conversation. So I'm going to pray for the healing. And I'm not going to pray like, Lord, I don't have the gift of healing. But what I do have is a gift of deliverance. So if there's a demon, get out. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not the plan, right? The, the, the plan is compassion and love and listening to the Holy Spirit for what gift is needed. Maybe I need to be able to discern that the parent is struggling with forgiveness. And if they can forgive, then this power in their life is going to be broken and their child's going to get better. Maybe we need to discern that they're in a time of spiritual warfare and a spirit of infirmity has attacked them. So maybe there will be some discerning of spirits, but maybe it's just the, you know, as the Lord said, you know, who did sin that this, this person is sick? Nobody, but that the father may be glorified. So maybe this is a moment where Jesus needs to be magnified. So we're going to pray and let Jesus do his thing. We walk away and say, which spiritual gift was exercised? Faith, healing, miracles. Um, yeah, all of the above. Hallelujah. Right. right. Yeah. This, I think this whole dynamic, first of all, you were just recently at a weekend deliverance ministry and you came back um, and it was either you or Jared had told me, uh, you used the phrase, you said, that guy's just not pastorly at all. And you go in there and you can see power and, uh, you know, they, you, you know, it's like, yes, by the spirit of God, 
what they were prophesying, you know, revealing like first Corinthians 14, it says that the gift of prophecy reveals the secrets of the heart. You can see that on total display. You can see them walking in the power of God, but, but then you do, you walk away, um, feeling perhaps confused, feeling perhaps like, um, I've been shorted because the gift, <laughs> the, the work of love wasn't primary there. And um, to be pastoral is to be Christ-like. And while not everyone has the, you know, gift of pastoring per se, um, um, or the office of a bishop, we would recognize that all of us are called to pastor one another. And because that's the first and second commandment. The first commandment, love God. Second commandment, love people. So I think this whole dynamic really makes a ministry gospel-centered, right? Christ-centered, gospel-anchored, gospel-oriented. And we would believe that the workings of these gifts are are the work of the gospel. Um, if, if the work of the gospel was declared from Isaiah 61, it includes deliverance. It includes the healing uh, of of restoring of sight to the blind and so forth. So we, we believe that the working of the gospel does include all of this and, and it, and it's all anchored in these great commandments of loving God and loving people. And what Paul called the ministry of reconciliation, loving God to people, you know, loving people to God, bringing those people back together. And so for us, you know, we, there's always a caution of pride because when prophetic gifts are firing man and like, you know, we use terms like he was reading my mail when, when it's like somebody's praying over you and, and you're going, man, those are the secrets of my heart being unveiled. And like, that was God speaking through that person directly to me. Um, you just realize it's exciting and, and it's a display of power and, um, and we're guarding ourselves to say like, Hey, this isn't a display of, of, uh, well, we're guarding against pride. We don't, it's not a fireworks show. It is emphasizing love and i guess to the credit of the father's house and for for those listening perhaps wondering like what's the deal with spirit forward is it all about you know the fire and is it all about the fireworks um i would say to check out some of jared's zoom class teachings because i mean last the last go around the whole the thing was called love and prophecy right and it was a whole teaching on how ministry is to be anchored in love. And um, so then you and I are making this case that that has to start in the secret place, right? So, well, we got on the spiritual gifts journey for healing. Just to be honest, right? Like years ago, uh, Jared and I had between us had four kids that were sick. He had his two boys with his wife, uh, brain cancer and epilepsy and then a genetic disorder for my oldest and then later on my youngest and um so we we got on this journey because we're praying for them right like like my second month as pastor uh I've, i'm bringing olive oil to jared's house to pray for his son who's about to go into surgery for on his brain and i don't even know how to pour oil on a guy's head right they didn't teach us in, in bible college you know right, like you know, just a simple smear i didn't know how to do that i hadn't true. thought that through how much oil do you use to get rid of a tumor probably the whole bottle yeah <laughs> uh so you know i'm like do i put this in a spray bottle no nah, that's a rabbit trail but 
I'm I'm praying for him and leaving and thinking, I know I didn't do that according to the Bible. I, you know, I, I, I would try to exercise faith. I tried to magnify Jesus. I tried to do my pastoral obligation, but I left and it was like, I knew that I didn't know <laughs> that I didn't know something. I knew that I had gone to a place where I, I didn't have the faith. I didn't, I didn't know what Jesus wanted, right? Like, how does Jesus feel about Jude's brain, brain tumor? You know, I don't know. Like, is this God's will that he's sick? Why would he do that? Why is this God's will? Is God's will just a mystery? And I just need to go through this like bludgeoning of, of bad news that we're getting and just endure this season. So we began to pursue healing. What, how are you supposed to pray for the sick? So I read, first I read everything by my King James brethren. And then I was done 30 seconds later that they'd written on the subject. So then I had to go look and see what else, right? What else is there to read? Um, on this matter of healing. What does the Bible have to say about healing? Why did Jesus have the privilege of healing everybody that he wanted to? Because he was God, right? And as a representative of Jesus, I don't have that privilege. <laughs> I have to just say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm going to pray for his healing, and then we're going to take him right to the doctor. And then, as I said in previous episodes, I grew up in a ministry that saw some healing, so like, is it like lightning? It just strikes whenever and we're just, we're always lifting a lightning rod up and we're hoping that he's going to hit it. So that's how we got the journey. And, uh, we saw more people healed because we started believing God wanted them healed. So there was an exercising of faith, which the name it and claim it and word of faith crowd takes way too far, but you do have to have some faith, right? You know, two people get in a room and say some words and neither of them believe it. It doesn't seem to do anything. Um, and just a little bit of faith, right? Mustard seeds worth. So we saw more people healed, but we're still trying to figure this out. And uh, then prophecy became a, a major role because what the Bible says about the gift of healing is very little, although we see a lot of healing. What the Bible says about the gift of prophecy is a whole lot. And so 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love in the ESV, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So we start studying prophecy and it's like, wait, we got to back up. We got to back up. Step one, pursue love. How do you pursue love? Is this a spiritual gift? No, I mean, well, yes, God gives it, but it's not in the spiritual gift list, right? God is love. And uh, I do believe that he gives us more and more why, you know, we're supposed to desire it and pursue it. Yeah. Fruit of the spirit. Yeah. So it, it comes out, right? You, you, you don't ask the Lord for apples right? Uh, and if you do, you understand there was a planting and a growing, right? It's, it's, there's a, it's a byproduct of a process. So as a, as a fruit of the spirit and not, not necessarily in the gifts list, we began to see that we need to be in this relationship and then love's going to come out. And uh, I think just for me, just studying how Jesus operated in power opened up my eyes to how the key to it was compassion. And then now, this is um, Jack Deere said what he said, because he had approached the scriptures saying, Jesus, why did you heal? Right. And then going to every healing in the gospels and trying to discern what does the Bible say about the reasoning behind the healing? And you come away finding that uh, just by and large, the reason for Christ's healings is because of his compassion on the sick. Um, so if Christ is being motivated by compassion, if Christ is being motivated by his love, 
that's got to be the same motivation down here. In fact, I, I wouldn't even say our motivation is the healing itself, right? Because healing is not the end. It's the means to an end of loving God and loving people of the two great commandments. Um, and as part of the declaration of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You're right. It, and, and what really helped me was seeing saints of God who asked for healing and didn't get healed, who walked away still loving Jesus more. How many Sundays do people go to church because they're so broken down and bent out of shape and they need to hear from God, right? They need a touch from God. So absolutely the needs of the flesh, the needs of the world, they do drive us to Christ in the way that the prodigal came home because he was starving in a pig pen. The needs of the flesh do bring us back. And I'm personally, I look at healing ministry as a fabulous segue of getting people, uh, closer to the Lord, usually by their own repentance, right? Because James 5 says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. I love that. It's just an open door. Somebody comes in and says, please pray for me. I've got this sickness. And now we're in this moment, this opportunity of like, okay, they're, they're in their brokenness, reaching out in humility to ask for something, right? So in that, in that opportunity, now we can, as ministers, we can, we can use this opportunity to, to get people closer to the Lord through the repentance of sin and that operation of faith and, and, and the expression of love. Something that we've experienced in our ministries, sometimes it is the Lord who initiates the thing, right? Like, so you're sitting in church, there's a word of knowledge and the Lord says, I want to heal cervical pain, right? I want to heal neck pain today. Somebody's got pain in their jaw. They've got tennis elbow, whatever. And the Lord is the one who initiates it. And, and then you make this, you know, you, you make a public word of knowledge and, you know, that person can respond, ooh, the Lord saw me. Uh, and then in those other moments, the needs of the flesh are bringing somebody to the elders for the healing. But I think in, in, in both situations, we're saying it's still the ministry of reconciliation. It's the bringing of the children to the father and the sheep to the shepherd. And then it leads us back to this idea of now this operation of love softens my heart to the point where I can be then drawn into deeper relationships. And so again, coming back to the prayer closet thing, that expression of love has uh, like garnished a, a, a desire in me to get closer to this one who just healed me or who just, you know, his words just fl flowed through my mouth. So my heart is so stirred up. Now I'm coming to the prayer closet in a totally different motivation. Whereas there once was a motivation that says you have to do your daily devotions. You have to walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You have to, you know, now it's like, boy, I mean, just today it was like song of Solomon five. He said, um, in my garden, he's, he, he says he's meeting his beloved in the garden. He says, in my garden, my treasure, my, my bride, he says, I'm going to dine on the honey. I'm going to drink of the wine. And so there's a passion from the king who says, you and me are going to come into my garden space, which is totally like Eden concept, right? Like the original plan. We're going to come into my garden and we're going to dine on the sweetest, richest, most wonderful things in, in, this, in this secret place. Yeah, a friendship with, with the Lord is the key. Um, 
And as funny as it is, I think we need to define some terms. When we talk about going in the prayer closet, a lot of people do have um, maybe just a different view of it. Maybe a, a guilt-driven manipulation type, go through my prayer list type thing. And we don't understand prayer as ministering to Jesus, our high priest, um, being doing our priestly role, right, of worshiping him, appreciating him for who he is, praising him expressing gratitude for what he's done, right? These are things that we, man, they just get hijacked by legalism. They get hijacked by, by carnality too, you know, yeah. worships more than uh, a certain style of music. And um, <clears throat> it's more than a, a type of service or the first 20 minutes or an hour of a church service, depending on which denomination you're in. Um, yeah, I think that's very wise to point out there because our background is Baptist. So that's our context that we speak from. And this show doesn't exist to beat up Baptists um, because the legalism, like we were talking about this on the phone earlier, legalism does exist in, you know, like charismatic churches. And the way I've come to liken it is when you have ministries that are so like they'll call themselves presence oriented, right? Like we're here to host the presence of the Lord. And what I see in the legalistic expression of that is they're treating themselves like the prophets of Baal, cutting themselves, performing a song and dance on the altar, like set me on fire, Lord. Right. And they're trying to like negotiate with God's moving in the church house. Um, and even there, there, you know, I, I think that's a reflection of not finding the peace and acceptance of the secret place of my heart one-on-one -on -one with God's heart. And I, I think the evidence of a, a, a love lacking ministry, just like you said, it's in all camps and that that's ultimately what leads to legalism. Yeah. So I think a lot of prayer, what takes the most time in prayer is not to get God to respond, but to get our heart in the right position. So we, we end up saying a lot of things that are, you know, they're either things that we just feel like Holy Spirit come, you know, the Welsh revival, 90,000 people saved in two months in a tiny little country because of Evan Roberts praying, come Holy Spirit, come, you know? And you could say, well, you already came at Pentecost and Ed Roberts was already saved. But th the point is, a lot of it was just getting his heart and the hearts of the people uh, around receiving. So when I say, come Holy Spirit, come theologically, I know he's already, I know he's already here. Yeah. But positionally, I'm like, break down the walls of my heart, you know, break down my carnality. Uh, you know, I spent too much time watching TV last night. <laughs> come Holy Spirit, come, right? A lot of people responded to our prayers for come Holy Spirit, come by saying he's omnipresent. He's already here. What are you asking for? Okay. I spent a lot of time in, in a pastoral space where it was totally normal and still to this day is normalized for pastors to ask for an unction, right? Like, yeah. come on me, Lord, let me preach. Let me have this, you know? And so it's like, it's normal in your you know, pulpit prioritized space to ask Holy Spirit, come give me an unction for this sermon. But like somehow it's not normal to include that for a worship time or any other time. Yeah. Yeah. The way that, you know, so when we go into prayer, uh, a lot of it's just kind of unloading our heart. So it's ready to receive the Lord. And there is a, 
a moving of God that he's not always doing in certain places. And yeah. you know, pass me not, O gentle Savior. We know you're moving. Please stop at our humble church. <laughs> Please stop at our podcast, right? We don't want you to pass us by. So there is a, a longing and a calling for him to be here. And we talk about the prayer closet and growing in intimacy with the Lord. It's this shift that has to, that, that and it comes through hours, right? But just go one minute at a time. Don't be overwhelmed by the hours comment. But it, it it comes through just letting the Lord transform why you're there, right? You, you get passionate about prayer, and I've always been very good at uh, <laughs> at reading prayer books more than praying, you know, especially in other seasons of life. I've taught a lot of it, but really what, what formed me was nothing I taught. The Lord's brought me to the end of all my prayer teaching right? and put me in a place of just um, having to explore knowing he's there in the silence and having to explore, what do you want to do? I, I am out of words. What do you want to do? And then learning to ask him good questions and let him respond and recognizing how he responds. And that grows this relationship. It's like the it's like the dating couple, right? You go on a first date and the person just talks about themselves the entire time. Maybe it's because they're nervous. Maybe it's because whatever. They just talk. You never got a word in. So you kind of learn a lot about them. And you're like, well, I'll give them another chance. They were nervous. And, and you know, they're attractive. I'll go out with them again. Right? Second date. They keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. And like, this is not, this isn't a relationship. And, um, but when you when you find the one you love, right? There's a give and take. There's a, there's an, a question and an answer, and they they're after their answer, they ask you a question. There's this beautiful like back and forth. And when I found that in prayer, it changed everything. Right now, there's other voices you got to deal with. Right, you got to deal with your flesh. You got to deal with unforgiveness. You got to deal with the enemy's attacks. Different seasons. You got to deal with offended heart. But if you can process all that and recognize that through the help of the Holy Spirit, then you can get into a place where the Lord's asking you questions and you got to answer. That's a, that's a, that's a prayer meeting right there. If, if God asks you a question, he's got a reason because he already knows the answer. <laughs> How many times was that the model with the prophets? Right. I mean, like, like, what did he say to Job? Buckle up, Job. I'm about to ask you some questions. Yeah. Where were you when I laid the foundation <laughs> of the earth? clearly so, i don't know there in in one of the recent episodes of the chosen jesus speaking to the gentiles he said in our culture we like to sit and ask questions and uh, it's true even to this day you can google the term yeshiva and it's a model of the jewish um questioning it makes sense out of why jesus was in the temple at 12 years old asking questions uh it, it's the form of teaching of I'll respond to your question with another question. And God, God, that's not Jewish culture. That's God's culture. The Jewish culture is God's culture. You know, everything Moses downloaded from Mount Sinai was from heaven. So it is God's nature to communicate like that. And it is often, if you ask the Lord a question and you sit long enough, a, a question in your heart, you know, develops. And, um, you know, it might be like, <laughs> Lord, um, how would you parent my son? How would you father my son? And the question comes back, how do you father your son? I say, 
I want a father like you father. Could you show me how to father? Yeah. Right. And so, and, and so it is often an exchange and it is how relationships deepen. But this and, is where, this is where spiritual gifts come though, because then you get in front of somebody and I know you've got personal examples of this as I do. You get in front of somebody and they tell you I'm depressed and, uh, or whatever, whatever the situation is. But for example, I'm depressed. Okay. And right away, your, your pastoral side says, I need to give them an answer because I'm a pastor. <clears throat> but if you've been in the prayer closet enough, your friendship with Jesus side of you says, ask the Lord. And so instead of being quick with an answer, you say, hold on, I'm going to ask the Lord right now. Oh, We're yeah. just going to listen. Right. And for years as a, as a wannabe professor and teacher and then new pastor, I wanted people to know I had the answer, right? Because I've read a lot, right? I have read a lot. So here, here you go. My memory and my ability to read has put these uh, answers. I have stock answers for you. When's Jesus coming back? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. I have no clue, but I have a Bible answer for you. Um, and so why am I depressed? I could immediately launch into some kind of sounds good at first. If you analyze it later, you'd realize it was flawed, but I launch it as some good answer about, uh, you know, it could be this and it could be that. And it could be that. And I would leave them with a buffet of options that convinced them that I knew what I was talking about. And also most of the time still left them depressed, <laughs> but, but stopping and saying, you know, I don't know. And then not saying I'll pray for you and leaving them. Cause that's another approach that people have. They get humble enough to say, I don't know. But then they don't have the the understanding. The Lord, the Lord wants to do something right now. So instead of saying, hey, "I'll pray for you," good luck with that. Um, we stop and we say, "Let's listen to the Lord," because I've I've learned that the Lord wants to do something in these moments because He's faithful. Amen. And then you ask the Lord a question, and He responds with a question for you to ask them. Yeah. Right. I. You know, it, it, it's been beautiful to learn to just listen and let the Lord be who he is. I like to say, let the Lord show off, but you know, he, he just shows up. He glorifies himself. He magnifies Jesus. The Holy spirit speaks. And, and at the end, all we've been, is just a, all we've been is a radio transmitter, right? We're just like, yeah, let me turn the dial to Jesus real quick. And, uh, and cause I don't, I don't know. I know what textbooks say. I know what the last book I read in depression says, but that's not what you need, right? You need Jesus right now to minister to you and touch you. So I think what you, said about the dating illustration and what you said about being a carnal pastor or like an intellectually driven pastor um, are very much in keeping with one another because in both situations, I think that the talkative date guy and the talkative pastor guy are both projecting. I think in both situations, we have such a miserable self-identity that it's like, I'm gonna talk, 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 talk and project that I'm a know-it-all pastor, or I'm going to project to this new date that like, I'm, I am this, this is who I am. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm going to let you hear all the good things about me. And, and uh, this is, and frankly, this is what it's like to talk to most men. Most men will talk at length on the topic that they are, you know, professionals at, you know, you can get around uh, anyone and and their their primary hobby or the thing that sparks their attention or the thing you know like the the most introverted dude will come alive to talk about that topic that he's like a professional on and and so he could go all day about the NFL or whatever whatever his hobby horse is 
But then you get over here to some of these matters of like uh, true, true vulnerability and nobody likes who they are. Okay. And so they're, they don't want to talk about who they are. So then, you know, uh, and then we could contrast that with the man who's receiving his identity from father, the guy who sits with father and lets father speak his identity over him. Like I sit and I say, Lord, who am I? Uh, how much do you love me? And I let him navigate me through the scriptures and I let him, you know, navigate through my heart so that suddenly my, uh, my identity and my, um, my confidence, everything that like who I am, it's, it's being created by him so that I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have any worry about outcomes because my, who I am isn't built on the outcomes of, of, you know, my labor. It's like, it's like Solomon, right. In Ecclesiastes, he says, I, I, I look at the, all the work of my hand and behold, everything is vanity. It's like, well, yeah, even if it was, even if everything became vanity, I'm great because I know who dad says I am. And then from there, we have such an overabundance of, of love and vulnerability because I can now be open. And from there, um, the, the quote unquote spiritual gifts will just manifest because as I pursue compassion and as I have a trained ear from my father, well, this, that's just the natural byproduct. Of course, these things, you know, of course, as I'm listening, I, you know, if my intent, if my attention is on the person in front of me and, and it's like, my heart is driven with true compassion. And if I have a trained ear for father, well, what's going to flow, but the oracles of God every time. Yeah. To recap a little bit, the, as we get into this topic of spiritual gifts, we don't ever want to get away from your friendship with Jesus. Um, your identity as a son or daughter of God is where your gifts are going to come from because the gifts are coming from a father. It's not a, it's not a uh, business transaction. God does not portray himself as a marketplace master. He does not portray himself as a business owner. He portrays himself as a father. And so we talk about spiritual gifts in the church. We understand that these are gifts that come from a father to a son or a daughter. If your identity as a son or daughter is warped, distorted, or just absent, then you're going to struggle with the gifts, right? You got to go to Abba and get the gifts. And then there's this attitude then around the gifts, okay? And we might talk about this more. We talk about the offensive gift of tongues. Woohoo! Uh, but I, I was with I was with a relative um, early on in this journey, and I said to uh, to them, you know, I have come to believe that some of these gifts that we were taught don't happen today do happen, and. I said, frankly, I'm experiencing those gifts in my life. And they said, uh, you know, I, I agree that those those gifts uh, still happen today. So I got them past the theor theoretical hurdle, right? Now they believe they could theoretically still happen. I said, well, to go further, I, uh, I think my church needs these gifts in operation. And they said, well, I, I could see that. They said, now, I wouldn't want the gift of tongues, they said, I, I don't see any purpose for that. I wouldn't want that at all. And uh, and so I believe that that, that it operates, but I, I certainly not for me. And I stopped and I said, now listen, 
you know, if you if you reject these gifts from the Lord, you're gonna you're gonna put a blockade up. You know, you're gonna you're gonna um, put a hindrance up. And and so I was reminded of this story. Forgive me for corny illustration, but when I was uh, I don't know 24, 25, my dad he always bought one big Christmas gift for everybody in the family and uh, each family. So I got one sister. And so that year we went to his house for Christmas and there were two boxes that looked a whole lot like flat screen televisions. And this is, this is 13 years ago. Flat screen TVs were expensive. I couldn't afford one. I had a big box and I watched too much TV. So I wanted a flat screen TV (laughs) and I saw two of them. I only have one sibling. There's only two families there other than my parents. So I'm like, I'm getting a TV. I'm pretty excited. Time to open gifts comes up. And uh, my brother-in-law and sister open theirs. And it's a flat screen TV. And then uh, my dad says, isn't that awesome? I got one for myself. And I'm looking and I'm doing the math. And I'm thinking that I didn't get a flat screen TV. And he says, Ken, your gift didn't come in yet. But your wife told me she wanted a kitchen table. And so here's a picture of the kitchen table I bought. (laughs) And I could not mask the disappointment on my face. I couldn't mask it. Like my face turned red. I was so disappointed. I so wanted a 55 inch LG flat screen TV at the time, cutting edge 1080p. I realize we're at 8k now, but at the time 1080, I'm watching things in whatever 360. I don't know. And Oh, I was just so disappointed because I know I knew I watched more TV than those two families combined again to my shame at that time in life. And uh, I didn't want that gift. You know, I did not want that gift. And my dad was offended and he did a good job of not acting offended, but I knew he was offended. And you know what? I took that table back and I bought a flat screen TV. Oh, Um, so I got I got the gift I wanted. I don't think it's the gift my wife wanted. She asked for a table. We got a TV and, uh, and, and we've, we've been, gone through marriage counseling. It's been healed, but you know, <laughs> I think a lot of us are that way with the Lord, right? We're like, this is really what I want. I don't want that gift. And it is a blockade to our relationship. It's a blockade to our intimacy. We, we quench the spirit. Paul said to the church of Thessalonica, don't despise prophecy. I paraphrase. Don't despise prophecy. Why did he say it? Because they were despising a spiritual gift. And a lot of us are like, I just don't see a purpose for that gift. Well, God does. That's why he created it. If he wants me to have this gift, and look, at (laughs) when the Lord started working on me with the gift of tongues, I was like, Lord, you don't understand my family. Like, this is not going to work. This is going to ruin friendships. This is going to, like, I don't see the point. Why do I want this gift when all it's going to do is cause misery and suffering? And the Lord pointed out the error in that, you know. I'm not giving you this gift for misery and suffering. My gifts don't give, don't create misery and suffering. You know, my gifts build you up and and strengthen either the body or strengthen you individually. So, but you know, I, I knew there was a cost right away before I even was understanding that that this this was a gift I was going to receive. And, uh, but I had, the Lord had brought me in his grace to a place where I trusted him as my father. And that was, that was a long journey. There were father wounds earthly father wounds that had to be dealt with, not related to the TV and table. And uh, there were uh, my own self-rejection issues that had to be dealt with. And once those were processed, I could trust the Lord with a gift. That's wonderful, man. Yeah. I think that, um, so somebody sent a sermon to me 
a number of days ago and said, hey, this is a really good teaching on tongues. I really agree with it. And in effect, the bottom line was that the it was a teaching on what tongues are not versus teaching what the tongues are. And it was, you know, super evident, uh, even from the outset, the pastor said, I've, I've never done this. I've never been a part of a church that did this. And he was like expressing his own, um, and I say this lightly, he was expressing his own ignorance of the gift. And I think there is a strong ignorance, like a childlike ignorance when we say, I don't want that gift from my dad. Um, and, you know, the younger a child is, the more ignorant that kid is of of good gifts you know like you could go to a one-year-old hold out a lollipop and a hundred dollar bill and the kid's going to take the lollipop right and in that childlike ignorance we come away wanting a lesser thing or disregarding the greater thing and uh, and that's what was expressed in that sermon as he walked through first corinthians 14 and it was almost as if he was saying he was he was talking badly about something that god loves he doesn't give gifts that he doesn't love. And so if God gave gifts to the first church is because he loves the church and because he loves the gifts, right? It's like, it's like your dad loving Candace enough to give her a good gift. Like he loves the table. He loves Candace. And so he's making that thing happen. And our father in heaven loves the gift, loves the recipient. I think it would be then the responsibility of a preacher to sit down with the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and say, all right, you gave out this gift in the first century because of your great love. Teach me then all there is that I need to know about this gift. To sit down with the word of God uh, before the Lord and to say, if you gave it once, it must be because you thought it was good. And... Um, I don't see anything that's changed in, in our generation to where we don't need the good gifts of the Lord. It's not like, hey, guess what? There's no infirmity in the world. We don't need the gift of healing anymore. So I think the need is still present. I think that God doesn't change. And what he deemed to be good for the first generation would be good for our generation. And so it's the responsibility then to sit down and say, all right, this is something that God prizes. What is it? And and Look, I, I grew up in a uh, strictly non-tongues space, right? Like no tongues were happening around me or anything like that. In fact, pretty much none of the guys, I, I wouldn't have known what a word of knowledge was, whatever. You know, I didn't know that stuff. And and so there just comes a point where we have to own up and say, you know, I'm not just going to go off of my um, <laughs> stock answers that, you know, I got from the from the Bible teaching factory, I'm going to actually sit with the Lord and say, Lord, teach me your word and ask him the questions and let him inform me so that I can come away pursuing something that he values. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Peter said in Acts 2, right, this is the promise, not just for you, but for your children and your children's children. The nice thing about Christmas back then was when I went, I knew that I wouldn't be overlooked for a gift, even if it wasn't what I wanted, uh, and but also that my my children wouldn't be overlooked, right? Uh, the the benefits of a generous parent, right? Or that everybody gets a gift. Everybody gets a gift for them. And it's it's to each generation. And a lot of us, we either look and we're like, you know, the Lord, he didn't, he didn't give me a gift, or um, he's he's overlooked me, and God is faithful. Um, so just some again, some basic defining. Spiritual gifts are 
supernatural empowerments of grace um charismata charismaticon charis uh c-h-a-r-i-s the transliterated spelling right is uh um grace and uh so the grace of god at work the power of god's grace uh the grace gifts um and they allow christians to demonstrate god's power and glorify him by serving others and uh they uh come to those who are humble right we're ready to serve because um a spiritual gift environment an environment where god's gifts are at work it really does take the focus off the individual and put the focus on the lord and so you got to love jesus to want these gifts to operate because otherwise you're going to be simon the sorcerer or uh elimas the sorcerer depending on which guy you want to take an axe uh, and you're going to be you're going to be trying to use this power for your own glory and it's That's not going to work out well for you. Elemis lost his sight. Simon got cursed and had to beg for mercy so that he wouldn't become a destitute dead guy. Uh you know, so if you you know, if you're a pastor and you want to control your church, you don't want gifts. I'll just tell you right now. You don't want that. If you want to have your hand and thumb on everything, if you believe that the church operates uh, uh directly under your authority and only your authority and 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 that's your view, I, I know where you get it, uh, and I've I've d- tried to do it, and it just gave me heartburn and gallstones. Uh, so, you know, the Lord has has beautifully shown that it's His church, and He means it when He says it's His church. That means He wants to control it. He wants to do it. Spiritual gifts let everybody do the stuff. Let's everybody operate in the in the ways that God made them, and then you see the grace of God at work in the lives of your people, and um. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. So you you get your gifts, right? Discover your gifts, learn how to use gifts through being in the secret place. But then from a leadership standpoint, uh, you need to be in the secret place to let your people operate in their gifts and not try to control it. Um, and so our job, I think, as shepherds is kind of stewarding the gifts that God's given to our people and creating a safe space for them to operate in their gifts, like right away, and you're like, we want prophecy in our church. The first fear is like, well, what about false prophets? And we talked about that a little bit in previous episodes. But the point is, my job is to provide a safe space for prophecy to operate. And if someone operate, someone is a false prophet, then I just uh, point it out for what it is. That person is not affirming the deity of Jesus. That's a false prophet. This person over here is trying to learn to prophesy, and they're hearing their flesh and they're hearing Jesus kind of interchangeably <laughs> and they haven't learned to discern the two. So they love Jesus. They affirm his deity, but when they gave their word, they gave a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of themselves. So we're going to let them try again. Uh, false prophet, you're out. You can't come back <laughs> until you repent hands and knees. Jesus is Lord. Um, rookie prophet. I'm proud of you for going up to the plate and swinging that bat and you hit the ball one out of 10 times. That's great. Let's practice some more. Right. So our job is to provide boundaries and a safe space for people to operate in the gifts. And we understand there's immaturity. We understand that there the flesh is at work. We know that in our own hearts. We we get done with our sermons, right? 30 minutes of, of, of preaching or an hour of a podcast. You get back and you're like, oh man, I wish I would have said that better, said that differently. That certainly wasn't 100 percent spirit led, right? It was the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, there's still a little bit of Ken. That we that we work through and process. So we're we're learning to let the gifts 
and let the Lord be glorified in our own frailty and failures and and flesh, it kind of gets exposed. And we say, ah, we're going to do better next time. But man, Jesus was wonderful. Look at what he did. If we were to be, you know, as generous and gracious with some of these things as we are with the other gifts, you know, for example, my first sermon I preached in, in front of an adult congregation. I was 14 years old and um, it was awful, you know? So it's like people come is, up. Is and there they, a recording of it? <laughs> heavens no. So it might be on like a cassette tape. Uh, you know? Yeah. If it is, it's going in a burn barrel. But, you know, and the people come up and they say, oh, you've got great potential. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're gracious to say, yeah, that wasn't a great sermon, but keep it up. And um, I, I think we do make that space for people to say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk on on faith and step way out there and 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 see if I can hear from the Lord and then see if I can minister outside, uh, you know, like to flow from the voice of the Lord." And to that, you know, we're encouraging and we're saying, "Yes, you've got the potential. Keep going." And and trying to be to be generous with that, uh, but also recognizing too. A lot of the American way of doing church is so polished and so um, perfect and perfect. I mean, dude, our favorite preachers on the internet, you know, they might preach that one sermon and spend 40 hours polishing it and rehearsing it. And, and you know, the, I've, I've heard, I have heard that there are um, preachers whose sermons are edited together so like the guy might preach the same sermon three times on a Sunday morning and that they'll take the best parts from each sermon and make like the most perfected version. And if we've got such a culture where everything has to be so like tidy and neat and everybody's handsome and, and, yeah. and it's the lights are perfect and and now it's like internet church. So you've got to have like the subtitles and the graphics and oh man, we've just, we've made it to be so threatening to be less than perfect. And so somehow that becomes the concept of prophecy instead of the concept of just me sitting with my father and what my father says, I say, you know, what I see the father doing is what I do as Jesus gave us this model. Um, So for us, it's like, can we just ditch? (laughs) Could we ditch doing church perfectly uh, and come over here and just, sit with some people in my living room, praise the Lord and, and ask him to speak through us. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, and that's a little bit of what revival is, right. Is when the, he disrupts our, our rhythm with his presence. And I think what's important about spiritual gifts is these are the ways that we can expect Jesus to work through us in our church. So you go to church, uh, with an expectation uh, that you're going to hear a sermon, that you hear some music, maybe you're going to sing a little bit, maybe you're going to hear something sung to you, right? In a traditional church setting, you go with these expectations and those things happen and you leave comfortable with what happened. And what we want in bringing out spiritual gifts is we want people to be comfortable with the things that Jesus said he wants to do in his church. He wants the music, by the way, and he wants the teaching, preaching. We're not trying to get rid of that, but we are trying to pre- create expectation. Um, and the Bible tells us we should expect these things. So, uh, you know, the church at Corinth, Paul said, you you come, each of you with a hymn and a, and a tongue and a prophecy, right? They came expecting things. And 
I think it's important for us to raise our expectations of what Jesus wants to do in his church. Uh, he definitely uh, wants to save sinners, and we know that, and, and, and any healthy church is proclaiming that, proclaiming the gospel. But there is this teaching that the church isn't for the church, and I think I get what they're trying to say, mm. but I but I think they missed 1 Corinthians 12 because the church operates in gifts for the church. It's to build up the church and minister. And Jesus did not create us solely to use us, right? There's a loving and nurturing, um, you know, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, but um, I, I, I also want you to know that you're my son or daughter and I love you. And I want you to be ministered to in the body of Christ. So um, that's, that's where spiritual gifts really, I think are valuable. Um, God just expresses his love uh, for people. And, and we see that in, in some of our prayer meetings where uh, one of our just faithful members will come and just have had a lousy week be struggling. And in 45 minutes of being prayed for, or, or joining us in prayer, they'll leave just totally free from that gloom. And and the rest of their week will be totally different. I'll see someone on a Wednesday, how's your week going? Terrible. I'll see them on Sunday, say, how'd your week go? Well, after that prayer meeting, my week was sunshine and butterflies. You know, like, did your circumstances change? No, but Jesus came in. Yes. And, and sometimes the circumstances do change. You know, my, my back was hurting and and the pain went away when you prayed for it. I had migraines. Have I had a migraine since? Uh, we had a guy testify. He had struggled with PTSD for 12 years. We prayed for him. And uh, for two years now, he's been totally free. No no PTSD. Um, and totally off his medication. Amen. Medication he was on for 12 years and never expected to get off of. Totally yeah. off of it. Uh, another guy, uh, suicidal thoughts, depression, and and seeing a therapist. We prayed for him, and then we told him go back to your doctor and work with your doctor. Don't just cold turkey quit your meds. Of course, uh, just like Jesus healed a leper and sent them to the priest to get it verified. And uh, he's totally off his off his meds. Five medications down to zero medications. Healed from depression. Um, so for them, man, it, it, the spiritual gifts were for them. They didn't. Get, they were already saved. Right. Nobody got saved in the in the working of this miracle. But um, nonetheless, something beautiful happened. The power of God was on display. And Father, Father God just said, uh, I love you. And um, I have a friend who prayed for some uh, a guy who had um, cerebral palsy. And he went faithfully to church. He got healed of cerebral palsy. He dropped out of church. And the pastor called him and said, hey, man, what happened? He's like, well, you know, I never could get dates before, but now I'm getting all these dates. And he uh, he'd been healed and then he went away from the Lord. And so the pastor went back to the Lord and he's like, Lord, why, why did you heal him? And the Lord said, because I love him. And he said, but you knew he would betray you. You knew he would leave. And uh, and the Lord said, my love's unconditional. And that's that's amazing. Right. It's disappointing how that guy responded to the miracle for sure. There's another lesson there. But just stop for a second and just think, man. God loves you unconditionally and spiritual gifts are one of those ways that if we, if we know what they are, we can expect them in church. We're going to see many, many, many more examples of God's love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the other neat thing is like, for example, in my prayer time yesterday, the Lord brought two like random people onto my radar, you know, 
um, one of these guys I haven't talked to in like five years and randomly boom, I'm hit with these people in a particular scenario. And it's like the Lord just lays this verse right on that person and lays this interpretation with the bird and the whole, and now there's this packaged up thing where I can just text a brother and say, Hey man, it's been a while, but in the prayer closet, the Lord brought you to mind. And this is, you know, what I think he's saying for you. And so now there's just this tremendous work of love coupled with, uh, the, the, the surprise element, you know, the Lord does loves to surprise it. Just like we love to surprise our kids. You know, the Lord loves to surprise his kids. So now you've got this whole package deal of like, God, God is speaking to me. He's speaking to me. It wasn't orchestrated by men at all. It was the Lord speaking this thing. And I, I think that's where we can find uh, really meaningful gifts of love that, um, frankly, don't require anything natural of me. I don't have to be equipped at all in the natural because all it requires is me sitting with the one whom I love and letting him speak. Yeah. It's interesting to me, as you talk about that, sitting in front of the one I love, letting him speak. You can't have intimacy without trust. And you know that in marriage, you know that in parenting, right? I need my children to trust me. You realize right away when you have a teenager that's rebelling that they don't trust their parents, um, it's not the only reason, but it's a common reason. And, and so we have a lot of Christians who have been so hurt by church and haven't been able to separate church from, from Jesus, which you shouldn't have to, but you're going to have to, they've heard these terms. They've had these terms used abusively. Uh, a lot of people don't like tongues cause they heard somebody try to cast a demon out of them in tongues and it was frightening and it was wrong and it was abusive. Yes. Um, and, and so because of these things, they just, they've got God in a very small box in their life and they don't trust him. And it's impossible to hear from God in that place. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. If your heart's impure, and we don't mean by that perversion, although that could be a part of it, but we also mean if your heart's just infected, being wounded, being bruised by offensive and abusive people who did things in the name of God. You're going to have a hard time operating these gifts. And this goes back to hearing the voice of God, which is you, you've preached a beautiful sermon on it for Spirit Forward. We've done some episodes on, but um, it's always critical in any, any way the Lord's going to work through us using his voice, work through us using gifts. We have to trust him. We have to trust that he knows what we need. And he's not going to lay this heavy, powerful spiritual gift on you if you don't trust him. So, you know, why don't I operate in prophecy? Because you don't trust the Lord. Well, I think I trust the Lord. I've read books about prophecy. I'm in a I'm in a prophetic training group. I go to a church that believes in prophecy. I I ask the Lord for prophecy, or ask the Lord for tongues, or ask, you know, fill in the blank for whatever the gift is. But you know, you're asking the Lord to give you something that's really powerful, that's going to create more stress, right? I, I mentioned that if I if I start talking about the gift of tongues, how how much stress is going to cause me because there's going to be rejection from friends and, and and some family over it. The Lord had to get me to a place where I trusted him and was was healthy enough with him that then I could operate that gift. Healing brings problems. If you are known for healing the sick, you get a lot of phone calls. <laughs> and and so I have friends and and uh, associates and, and just uh, acquaintances who they operate strongly. They have a faith for it. But the Lord has had to bring them through an incredible humbling process 
because, you know, last thing you need is someone believing that they're a healer. It's Jesus, right? So as we're trying to walk in the gifts, the Lord's going to bring us through some tests and he's also going to bring us through some healing so that we're able to handle the gift, right? Just like you can't drive a car until you're 16, 17, 18. You can't own a firearm until you're 21. There's certain things you just can't buy, medications, whatever, till you're a certain age because you can't be trusted with it. These are these are uh, power gifts. These are um, the containers of God's power placed on human vessels. And so he's, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to give you what you can handle and you're going to have to learn to operate in it. You're going to learn to develop it. Like you did teaching, preaching, uh, at 14, you have to learn to grow in it. Uh, so you might be saying I'm all in, I want the gifts and I'm not getting them. So that you guys must be wrong. I don't have the gifts. You must be wrong. Well, I would say that there's another reason and, 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 and one reason could be that, uh, there's just a part of your heart that's not ready for it yet. And the Lord's saying, I'll get you there, but I'm going to take you. What seems like a tangent is actually going to be a place of preparation and training. Yeah, that is a good word. I do see the pattern of training in the Bible. I think that Samuel was a boy. He became an established prophet. And then he had a school of prophets. I see in the new Testament, Jesus trained his disciples for three years. And then, um, and then they were the ones operating at the beginning of Acts. By the time you get to the end of Acts, multiple people that aren't apostles are in the gifts already. And then by the time you get to First Corinthians, there's it's a, it's essentially a school of prophets. And so there is definitely a development pattern in the Word of God. Yeah, I, I can use an example real quick. With the disciples, Jesus gave them authority. Luke six, Luke seven, I don't know, Luke nine. He gave them authority to to cast out devils and heal the sick, but it was limited. And you say, why was it limited? Well, then there's this time when they see people casting out devils in Jesus' name who don't belong to their group, and they want to burn them. And so you can see why Jesus limited it, right? Like their ability to do miracles is limited. At the bottom of the Mount of Transfiguration, there's nine disciples at least who can't cast a devil out of a child while while Jesus was on top of the mount with Peter, James, and John. Why couldn't we cast them out? Uh, faithless and perverse generation. Is that to the disciples? Is that to the people? Or is that to both? But there's definitely, uh, well, you need more time, more time in prayer and fasting. You need to grow in this gifting. You weren't ready for it yet. And not until the resurrection and the ascension do we see the disciples now beginning to walk in their fullness of the, of the measure of the gifts that the Lord had for them. Amen. Amen. Before the show, um, you had mentioned that the Lord can speak in like a hundred ways, you know, and sometimes our frustration comes and we say, I'm trying really hard and I just can't hear him. And uh, a huge part of relationship is learning that there's communication in, in a variety of ways. Like I don't only listen to my wife through the spoken word, you know, I might listen to my wife through her composure, through the look on her face, through her um, text messages, you know, like, there, there's just a variety of ways that we communicate, and the Lord is certainly like that. <sighs> Goodness, I remember reading a book on um, like Moody and Finney and, and people who had had large experiences with the Lord, and God, the Holy Spirit came on just like lightning and transformed their ministry. And, I, and I'm going through all these testimonies and thinking that's never happened to me. I have this call on my life. The same as Finney, right? Like he had a call. I have a call. 
but I don't have the electricity. I don't have the fire. And, and I got so frustrated having read so much on the work of the spirit. I stood up out of my office and I threw the book across the auditorium. And I was so upset. And it was like, where is this God, right? Where is this power? Why can't I hear? And I remember like sitting in my prayer closet with my list, my prayer list, you know, and going, is there a word for this guy? Come on, Lord. (laughs) And no word would come. And and I'd just be so frustrated. And the day I threw the book, uh, the Holy Spirit just very gently um, reminded me that I'm not praying. And that I just needed to step in there. And, and so I went back into my office, laid out on the rug, and uh, and just spent time with the Lord. And then um, and then a short while later, began asking questions like, how much do you love me? You know, speak to me. And and so then through that, it was like he began to to and then and and I would say also this, this is such a big deal, Ken. Like we know full well we are called to be stewards. And if you want to be, you know, ruler over many. You have to be faithful over few. And so whenever God speaks, give credit where credit's due. And I think that when we testify, I think that when we are faithful stewards at, at just the beginning level, God gives more and more and more increase along the way. And yeah, for whatever reason, sometimes God does zap a man and zap a ministry and the ministry just like takes off like a rocket. But I think the rule is that we ought to be faithful stewards, that we ought to be bold enough um, to speak and, and testify of when God is moving. And, you know, if I if I want to have a great healing ministry, I better be faithful with the very few things and testify the very few things and give God the glory and thank him, you know, have plenty of space in my life as a priest to give thanks unto God. Um you know, when we think about, like, if you think about kids' church, if you stepped into kids' church, you know, uh, today's Wednesday, so lots of churches have Wednesday night kids' club. If you go in there during prayer request time, kids are going to ask prayer requests for, like, the smallest things, right? I got a boo-boo on my finger or whatever, and, and it can be little things. Uh, but in the same regard, if you ask for testimonies of children, they will thank God for the little things. You know, they'll say, like, we played kickball at recess and they will thank God for kickball at recess. And I think if we're going to have childlike faith, we ought to get back to that place where we're, where we're asking God for little things. We're thanking God for little things. And you know what? If I can see God in the little things, I have great confidence that he cares for the big things. If he cares about my little stuff, if I say, Lord, where did I set my wallet? And he helps me find my wallet. Then I know full well, that he cares about something as big as cancer. You know, it, yeah. He's a God who cares. Yeah. Yeah. Word of knowledge for where your wallet is. That's what you need. Right. Yeah. At that point, you're like that. I need a word of knowledge right now. Um, yeah. He, he's a father. He cares about all of those things. And that faith is a child approach. Um, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I think too. And by the way, if, if somebody's skeptical about the Lord talking about a wallet, just pause for a second and realize that young Saul sought out the man of God and said, I've lost my dad's donkeys. Yep. <laughs> the the prophet of God. I'm going right. to go talk to him to find my donkeys. Yeah. Really, really big deal. Big affairs that we needed to, to bother the man of God with. And, uh, but they were a big deal to him. Yeah. And, uh, and That's Samuel true. did answer. So. Yeah. 
I love the conversation. I love talking about spiritual gifts. I look forward to talking about, um, I think tongues is next in our series here. And so we'll get the red, the red herring out of the way, the red doors it's called uh, by others, uh, out of the way and, and deal with that. But, um, and I just want to encourage our listeners, if you operate in the gifts or not to, uh, to ask the Lord for more, um, you know, Max Licato recently said after 40 years of ministry and, and decades of writing New York times, bestselling books, he found himself on his knees saying, Lord, I've, I've not prayed for the gifts. Like I should, I've not earnestly pursued desired spiritual gifts. And, you know, you may have disagreements with him on, on whatever, but uh, I think that shows a real posture of humility and uh, of, of frankly, biblical obedience and putting, putting your trust in the Lord to do what he's going to do. So father, in the name of Jesus, um, you know, I, I submit to your plan for my life. And I ask you for the gifts that I need to be uh, more effective, a more loving and compassionate follower of yours. And I think those prayers, prayers like that, um, unlock doors in the Christian walk that you just never knew were there. I know that's what they've done for me. And, uh, so I just encourage our listeners to do that earnestly desire spiritual gifts, pursue love, and also that you may prophesy and watch what the Lord's going to do. It's going to be powerful. You're going to be able to minister in the, in the power of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. For more resources, please visit spiritforward.faith. And until next time, may God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you.